somebody told me when I became a farmer that as a small-scale organic farmer, you have a list of 100 things that you must do every single day. Your job is to pick which three of those you're going to do. (laughs) So that's pretty much how it is with farming. You need to be prioritising every day and shifting your priorities based upon what's actually happening in your field or within your business. Hello and welcome to Propagate, the podcast devoted to young farmers and fishers. This episode is all about Shaya Kiran. She's the driving force behind Life Force Farm. She knows plenty about juggling priorities because she's responsible for all aspects of the business, all the way from planning and growing through to deliveries and marketing. She has a certified organic farm just outside the beautiful town of Mullumbimby near Byron Bay, but the love affair with growing goes back quite a long way, both in time and location. I grew up in England, I grew up in the Midlands. We had an allotment where I lived in the Midlands and that was an early influence for me. My grandmother lived in public housing in Birmingham in quite a low socioeconomic region. That's where my family are from. However, she always had this garden in the in the, her council house that was just bursting with flowers, just absolutely <laughs> bursting with flowers. And it was such a contrast to to the rest of the community and it just made a huge impression on me. So um, I first started growing flowers with my grandmother from the age of when I could walk. Yeah, in her tiny little plot. I don't think a lot of people understand how common allotments are in Europe because we don't see them here, but it's kind of what you're doing. Yes, that's correct. In Europe and in many other places um, around the world, Food production for your family is actually something that the, that the family take responsibility for, which is why they're needing an allotment. Generally, I found here in Australia, there's, it, it's not so much of a culture for people to have their own vegetable patches in amongst their gardens. It is becoming more that way now. Um, but the culture we came from is that you really have to provide a good portion of your own food as well as buy your food. So the allotments really through Europe and through England and, um, yeah, definitely through my other countries in, in Punjab and, and Turkey, they're a really important part of how we feed ourselves as a community. Yeah. I'm wondering how you wound up here because you've probably done some other things as well, I'm guessing. Yes, I came to Australia with my family to do high school here. And when I finished high school, I ended up doing a degree in Bachelor of Science Uh, majored in clinical biochemistry and microbiology and after that I I was really interested in science I've always been very scientifically minded and I really wanted to yeah I got really interested in medical medical science and natural science and and um, how these things work in the body I did pharmacology clinical biochemistry etc I got really disillusioned with how the pharmaceutical industry uh, worked and the drugs and yeah just the approach generally of medicine in that space so yeah I didn't end up part yeah continuing with my science degree what I really wanted to do was to bring validity to natural therapies however I am um, using research using medical science however I quickly realized that whatever research that I did um, would be bought by pharmaceutical companies put into a pill and sold to the customer, which 
was not my intention of what I wanted my research to go towards. So I moved away from that field entirely and then went into natural therapies itself. So I then studied naturopathy, Ayurveda, kinesiology, um, feng shui, counselling. Yeah, I've got quite a few modalities under my belt, which I did then for maybe a good 10, 10 plus years from that point and I worked in corporate Australia as well and then from there I moved to Hemp Foods Australia where I started a company with my ex-partner Paul Benham and we uh, we yeah we, we sold hemp seeds and protein and oil and promoted that product in Australia for seven years prior to me coming to the farm here and then I tried to also introduced the concept of hemp farming and talked to grain farmers about introducing industrial hemp into their grain rotations, into their crop rotations. I can't imagine it was an easy sell trying to get hemp going. No, it's really, really challenging in this country to do that. Um, yeah, for a variety of reasons. Because we don't have good growing seed here, we have a different climate and the amount of infrastructure that's required in order to use the product and to make it a viable industry in Australia. We don't have any of the infrastructure available here. We don't have mills available here. We don't have processing, fibre processing. Everything really needs to be built from scratch in terms of the hemp industry over here, which is why at this stage it is a cottage industry, um, but it, it, it will develop and grow over time, we hope. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty clear from listening to Shaya that she isn't afraid of shaking things up or trying a hand at something new, which is lucky because making the switch from an eager green thumb into an organic entrepreneur isn't exactly straightforward. So what was that journey like and how did she build the skills needed to make a new business a success? My learning curve was from a gardener to a commercial grower. So I tried lots of different systems and just started reading books you know, starting with Elliot Coleman and uh, market gardening books and just proceeding all the way through to Connor Crickmore and the North American Canadian farmers that are very much sharing knowledge uh, around biointensive agriculture and how we can make it sustainable and how we can feed communities cheaply. This is a biointensive model, just under one acre of land. Um, with biointensive agriculture, this system kind of developed from France and it's a way that we use, we planting really, really densely on the beds and um, providing really good soil fertility. And when we do that in this format, we can get an enormous yield off a small amount of land. I wonder how you feel when you look around here, because it's quite a nice little, nice little patch you've got here. Yeah, it's very peaceful. I just love working outside. This is my office. So this is the best part of the job for me is being able to work outside, planting, bed prepping, weeding, harvesting. I love all of this part of the business. And of course, what you see is only 50% of the business. <laughs> so in farming, that all of that constitutes 50%. The other 50% occurs post-harvest, post-harvest packing, um, processing, selling, doing website stuff, communicating, you know, selling out to channels, communicating with my customers, um, all of that social media. That's my automatic irrigation you can hear coming on now. Yes. How technologically advanced are you here? Yeah, I'm quite advanced actually. So I can show you that as well. So this system exists in here and it's a computer. Um, and it will run, I, so basically it runs through and it connects to an app on my phone. On my phone. So 
through this connection, I'm able to theoretically anywhere on the planet that I can get access to my Wi-Fi, I can turn my irrigation on and off and modify which zones are being watered for how long and how frequently. So this is a really critical part for me because I don't live on site here. And it is a major issue with irrigation, especially in the summertime here. We're often not getting rain for four or five months at a time. And if I needed to come and be present and turn the irrigation on and off, it, it just doesn't work, yeah, in my life. <laughs> yes. That's a pretty good example of working smart. Yes. I love being a farmer in this day and age because there are so many tools that we can use that were not available to us pre-internet, pre-Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of things we can use. And there's also a lot of tools that have been come out which are actually specified and, and developed for people like me to make our work more efficient. And these tools are relatively cheap. You know, if there is a tool under $5,000 that I can buy that will make what I'm doing quicker, easier, use less labour, then I will invest in that tool, definitely. The other thing you briefly touched on was making it work for you. So how important is that? Well, it has to be if you want to be sustainable. So within permaculture principles, you know, we, we need to be sustainable in the environment. We need to be sustainable financially. We need to be sustainable personally. We need to be sustainable within our communities. So if any one of those is not sustainable, then actually it's not, I'm not sustainable because my farm relies upon me for, for its survival. Without, without Shea, Life Force Farm doesn't exist. So if I don't look after what is going to work for me in my lifestyle, then my farm is not going to thrive. Yeah. So that's one way to maintain a work-life balance. Build it right into the business plan. The mix of modern and old school at Life Force Farms is really interesting and it filters into everything that Shaya does. A new focus for the farm right now is connecting to the public and explaining the realities of organic growing. Now, of course, that means social media, but it's a little bit deeper than taking selfies with Silverbeet. For me, it's, it's another way that I can provide people access to the farm so that they can see where their food's coming from, so that they can... Yeah, so they actually are able to ground that into a reality. So I'm wanting people to be able to connect with my farm. And obviously, I can't have everyone come to the farm. Um, but I can, I can share pictures, I can share stories, I can share, you know, things that I'm doing, tasks and, and the various daily occurrences of farm life, of being a farm her, which is what I am. And yeah, so this is how I, I run with the, with the social media. I'm glad you mentioned farm her. Where did that come from? It's just a quirky play on words. I like to play with words, I think. <laughs> really, for my industry, I am, the vast majority of my colleagues are in their late 60s and they're male. Now, this is just a, a common statistic in Australia. That's just where it's at. The vast majority of, of our farmers are older and men. So me being a farm her, I'm a younger female farmer <laughs> so, is that a good thing or a bad thing i believe it's a great thing because i bring a diversity of the way that i look at yeah at what i'm wanting to do i um, do things slightly differently because of my perspective and because of who i am and because of my different life experiences so i believe it brings a great deal to the space even though yeah it's quite different to to what my colleagues probably are used to <laughs> 
<laughs> what are the challenges being? The challenges are that the majority of the colleagues that I'm dealing with are male and at least 20 years older than me. So that brings in a certain challenge in the fact that I am not only female in this, in a very male dominated profession, but I'm also an immigrant. I'm from England and I'm also Turkish Indian. So for most rural Australian farmers, they're generally extremely conservative living in rural Australia and they never met anybody like me before. So that then becomes the challenge and also the opportunity. Because once they get to know me, they see that I work as hard as they do. And generally with farmers, if they see that, you're, that you, can, you work hard, then they will accept you. I've wandered around Mullumbimby a little bit with you. Yes. Everyone seems to know you. Yes. <laughs> so how important is it to actually get involved in your community, do you think? I think as a local, as a, a farmer, you know, you're one of the backbones of the, of the community, whether you're recognised for that function or not. Um, it's like, you know, the baker, the farmer, the policeman, the fireman. We all have roles in our community and they're all really fundamental roles. And because of the decentralisation of farming, then most people really are not, haven't really been in connection with who their local farmers are. Um because, yeah, because the production is decentralised and often just operating through larger markets. Because I'm selling my produce locally and I'm selling it branded as my farm, then it's obviously in my interest that people get to know who I am. That's right. I understand that, but it seems to me that there's a little bit more than just purely commercial reasons behind it. Yes, that's correct. It, it, it is that. I, As I said, I'm wanting people to understand the role of farming and how important it is. We can get very concerned on earth with all of the other distractions of all the other things that are going wrong. Really, if we can, can address the simplicity of just looking at our food and, yeah, it's just a really big piece, I believe, in how we're operating in society and farming isn't very visible in the public conversation except when there's a really big drought or a flood or a hailstorm or some other type of natural disaster. <laughs> then we get all the farmers talking about the natural disaster. I'm guessing it's not bin day, so what's going on here? So these are all my supplements. This is based on the agronomist, so I'm applying here. Because I'm in um, cattle and mulch country, grasslands are generally acidic, so we're needing to apply dolomite and lime to this particular soil mix, and these are also um, poultry manure, certified organic poultry manure, and fertilisers that I apply to each bed before raising beds, before planting out into them. So bed preparation is a really, really, really important part of organic farming and really it can set up your whole life of that bed that crop if you do it well you'll get great success if you skimp on it and you skimp on the wrong parts of it you're, <laughs> you're going to have a learning experience <laughs> uh, i'm curious then how many learning experiences have you had in this so spot many, so many learning experiences yeah like i've you know pest problems disease problems flood problems drought problems irrigation problems it's farming. Anything can go wrong at any particular time. Uh, and as well, not only are you dealing with the business and the human aspect of things going wrong, we're then also dealing with nature. 
and how that how that influences us as well because that's a difference with our work as opposed to a human-based work is that we we're bound by by nature good farming is about preparation it's about organization and when we're considering organics you know conventional produce in australia is is not valued very highly so if you're working off a small block of land like i am for one acre then if I was to produce this and sell it on the conventional market, I'm going to get a lot less money, like actually 50% less money. So by this farm being a certified organic operation, it means that I double the bottom line, the wholesale value of any crop that I sell off the farm. Uh, so yeah, if I wanted, you know, in order to be able to keep the same income, I would have to have double the size of farm if I was not certified organic. And organics is what is growing in the country, certified organic production. Now looking around, it seems that you're, you're pretty close to being on the edge of everything. So when you look at this, do you think, oh, if only I had double the size? Or is it just like, no, this, this is working for me. This is perfect. Yeah, no, I'm not going to increase the size. No, um, that's definitely not going to be the case. No, um, this size is enough for me. It's, it's enough to work and... Um, there's enough production that comes off the site in order to keep the operation going. So, yeah, you can have bigger farms, but then you've got to really know why why you're wanting to do that. Just being bigger isn't necessarily going to make more money. It might just make, well, it will make my life more complicated because then I'm managing staff and managing multiple sites and managing things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> So there you have it. Bigger isn't always better, especially if it means making your life and business more complicated. Because isn't life complicated enough already? Massive thanks to Shaya from Life Force Farms who took the time out to show me around her property and a very special thanks to the wonderful people of Mullumbimby who found us a nice quiet spot on the main street to have a chat. There is nothing like country hospitality. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Propagate, which is proudly brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. If all of this talk about growing has inspired you, we would love it if you could help us grow with a review on your favourite podcast platform. My name's Corey Haig. Thanks for listening.